Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. I thank you for this unfolding story of how you worked with this great, powerful, mighty King Nebuchadnezzar. And and so, Father, we ask uh, that you would guide us this day. Lord, help us to, there's a lot of verses before us, the story um, as it unfolds. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help me to, to share the story that you have recorded for us. Lord, help us to see um, lessons in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Most importantly, Lord, we ask that you would help us to see you and how you deal with us in our being stubborn and kicking against your ways. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us uh, to learn from the life of this man who ultimately humbled himself after a lot of heartache and gave his life to you and surrendered himself to you. So often this happens at the end of our lives. And Lord, we ask that um, we would follow the advice of Solomon, that we would honor you and walk with you uh, from an early age. And today is the youngest we will ever be for the rest of our lives. And so that includes all of us. Um, Lord, may we give you our lives. May we do things your way um, in all areas of our life. And so we lay ourselves down before you, God. And we ask that you would speak to us now. And it's in Christ's good name, I pray. Amen. Amen. We're only going to read the first three verses of chapter 4. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. And Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would guide us now. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as we enter into chapter 4, we have just concluded the story of the three men in the fiery furnace. At the end of that story, it seems again that Nebuchadnezzar had sort of responded at some level to seeing God's hand. We see it at the end of chapter 2 when he has that terrible nightmare of this, 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 this dream of that statue with the five different layers and Daniel coming to him and saying, listen, this is what your dream was. This is what it meant. There's going to be a number of kingdoms after you and ultimately they're all going to be destroyed because God's kingdom will be established and it will grow and, and it will have no end. And so at the end of that, the king seemed to respond. But then some time passed. And uh, over the course of time from uh, 605 B.C., uh, when the book of Daniel starts, to 586 B.C., when uh, the third wave of the destruction of Jerusalem happened, we see that at the end of the destruction of Jerusalem, that Nebuchadnezzar had made this huge golden statue, sort of, taking from the dream he had, but instead of just the head being gold, which he was told was himself, he made the whole thing gold. And sort of proclaiming to the world that I am the king of the world, he literally was. And not only that, but there was no God greater than himself. And so the three men are thrown into the fire. Uh, They survive. He seems to be moved yet again. From verse 30 in chapter 3 to verse 1 of chapter 4, Chronologically, we've now moved forward in time about 30 years. Ballpark, maso menos, as they say in Espanol. 
30-ish. When you're going back a few thousand years, you can be off by half a century, you know, but, 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 but we're talking within a five-year window, 30 years. And if this was a movie, at the end of chapter three, the screen would go dark, and it's almost like I can see words coming up. It's been a number of years since we've heard from Nebuchadnezzar. The year is now this date, 30 years in advance from when we last were in the story. But it's been eight to 10 years since the people have heard from the king. And now he's called this press conference. Uh, This story very much reminds me of um, Fidel Castro in some ways. You guys remember like towards the end of his life, he, he stopped appearing and his brother would come around more. And all of the people chiming in like, is he dead? We think he's dead. But the government's kind of like, maybe they're just hiding it. And, and his brother's coming around, and, but they don't want to give up. They don't want him to lose his control. And so he's really dead, but we don't know. And then, you know, as time sort of unfolded, it came out that he was alive. They showed him, and he was on sort of, his deathbed, and then he died, and his brother took over, but this isn't about Fidel Castro, but in those last years, there was a lot of speculation, and so today's story, it opens with this huge press conference by Nebuchadnezzar. He, he announces that he wants the world to be there, so he tweets it. He puts it on Facebook. It's on Instagram. It's on the one with the little ghost that I can never remember, the little the yellow one that I can't do, uh, Snapchat, that one. Then, so he gets the whole world, like everybody in the world comes to hear what the king has to say. They haven't seen him in about eight to ten years. And so he gets up, and these first three verses are his introduction during this speech. We see in this letter that he, they're his words. Daniel seems to take the king's speech and puts it into the first person, so it's really him speaking to us. So Nebuchadnezzar, the king, to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live on the, all the earth, this was his kingdom. This is what he controlled everything. May your peace abound. It has seemed, seemed good to me to declare the signs and the wonders which the Most High God has done for me. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, he said, this is what God has done for me. How great are his signs. And how mighty are his wonders, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. This sure seems different than chapter 3, verse 15, where he asks these young men, and what God is there that can deliver you out of my hands? So now we have this man who has been broken by God. He's, he's been through a terrible experience, would be an understatement. And he's come through out of it, humbled by God. And, and this time, for real. This, this time, there was lasting evidence. And so he comes out and he says, I, I, I peace be with all of you. Um, I want to tell you about this most high God that has had a tremendous impact in my life. He says in verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease. Now that word was. So he's saying this is... Eight years ago, 
10 years ago. He said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease at my house um, and flourishing in my palace. Trying to decide if I want to move on or not. So he's in his, he's in his palace. Uh, everything is flourishing. He's got the world at his fingertips. Later in this story, we'll, we'll see that he's like up on his patio and he looks out at Babylon and he says, man, what, what an empire. I wish my mom and dad were still here to see what I've done. And his empire was no joke. The city of Babylon, it, it, it's, I want to say that the wall around Babylon was as tall if you took a football field and raised it on its edge and the width of it, you could race three to four chariots around the outside, so shoulder to shoulder. His empire was vast. And so here he is. He's in his house or his palace. We're going to see that he was sleeping in his bed, you know, whatever thread count is a good thread count, his silk sheets, you know, the whole everything. He's in the place of his most security, protected, untouchable. I mean, I've been trying to imagine this week sort of like if I wanted to go get a hold of the president, like any president, you know, and I tried to go kick down the door of the White House to try to make it to his, like, I could get through the front door maybe, but I don't think I could get anywhere near his bedroom. Like, I'm trying to imagine who has access to that place where you could actually knock on the bedroom door of the president and say, hey, Mr. President, you have a phone call out here, and I think you should take it. This guy was protected. Nobody, nobody could penetrate within his palace, let alone in his bed, and here he is, and he sees in a dream. Verse 5, I saw a dream, and it made me fearful, and the fantasies as I lay on my bed, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So he has the second dream. He's in the, the best bed in the whole kingdom. And he's laying there, and he's trying to sleep, and he can't sleep, and he's seeing these, these images, these, this dream within his mind that's terrifying him again. And so he gave orders to bring into his presence, into my presence, all the wise men of Babylon, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came in, and I related the dream to them. So this is different than the first dream. Remember, the first dream, he said, I had this terrible dream. First, I need you guys to tell me what it was and then interpret it. So this, and remember their answer, they said, well, if you could just tell us the dream, then we could interpret it. So this time he relates the dream to them. He shares with them the dream, but they could not make its interpretation known to, to him or to me. I don't know why he kept calling these guys. They seemed to not be very good at interpreting dreams. Or maybe they interpreted a whole bunch over the years, and this was one that, that hung them up. Verse 8, but finally Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. I related the dream to him, saying, so remember, he's at a press conference. He's gone through all of this already. He's at the other end of it, eight to ten years later. And he's looking at all the people of the world, and he said, eight to ten years ago, I had this terrible dream. Horrible. Horrific. 
I brought in all the guys. They couldn't do anything. Then I brought in Daniel. I, it's interesting to me that he says, I brought in Daniel. He uses his Hebrew name, but he said he's known as Belteshazzar after my God, but there's, his God is different. And so now as we get to verse 10, he's recounting the story of back eight to 10 years ago when he was standing with Nebuchadnezzar, or when, he was sta- when Nebuchadnezzar was standing with Daniel and he shared with Daniel the dream that he had. So now he's telling about when he told Daniel about the dream in verse 10. Now, these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I I was looking and behold, there was a a tree in in the midst of the earth and its height was great. And the tree grew large and became strong and its height reached to the sky. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and the living creatures fed themselves from it. So up to this point, it's a great dream. If he just woke up, he would have been super stoked by this dream. But then things changed in verse 13. I was looking in the visions in my mind, and as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. So now he's going to tell us what this angel said to Nebuchadnezzar about his dream while he was sort of sleeping or seeing the stuff. Verse 14, the angel is now speaking to the king. He shouted out and spoke as follows, chopped down the tree, Now, I want to pause here. As we move from verse 14 to 15, this tree is going to be addressed in different ways. So for verse 14, it's going to be it, 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 it. Midway through 15, the terrifying thing happens to Nebuchadnezzar is this tree goes from it to he, to him. It, It becomes a person or personified. And that's the troubling thing to Nebuchadnezzar. So chop down, verse 14, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip it of its foliage, scatter its fruit, let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it, this, this is sort of the picture of protecting the roots that were there for future growth. but with a band of iron and bronze around it in, a, in the new grass of the field and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let, his, and let a beast mind be given to him. Now, I didn't write it down, but there's some long word. This is actually a medical condition. It's been documented. <clears throat> And let the seven periods of time pass over him. So the angel then gives the explanation of what's going on. <laughs> I, see, I see somebody looking for somebody, so I was trying to help them because I can see where you all are. <clears throat> um, I wasn't pointing the judgment to any individual. Just Okay, so now the angel then shares, like, hey, this is what's going on. This is the sentence by the decree of the angel watchers 
and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it from on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is the theme of Daniel. There is a God in heaven. He is sovereign over all. He appoints leaders. He takes them down. There's nothing that's out of his control, and Nebuchadnezzar is no exception. God has been trying to get his attention from the very beginning. He's been trying to get your attention from the very beginning. He's been trying to get my attention from the very beginning. But we all think that we're more important than we actually are. Verse 18, then this is the dream which I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshauer, tell me its interpretation as much as none of the wise men of my kingdom are able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. Daniel, you have to help me. This dream is horrifying, and I think I understand what it's saying, but, I, but at the same time, it's not good. And then in verse 19, it's, 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 it's hilarious. I can just see Daniel, who's a little bit older now. I think they're speculating that he's in his 50s or 60s. He's here in the dream, and the color's like leaving his face. Oh, oh. oh. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled <laughs> for a while with his thoughts. Like, he's like dry heaving. And all of a sudden, the king, who's like terrified, he's like shaken up by the dream. And is like a ruthless man. Now he's like got his arm around Daniel saying, it's okay. Like, God, it's okay. Like, you're going to get through this. Like, don't worry. Let me come for you. <laughs> the king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let this dream or its interpretation alarm you. And then Daniel spoke. Belteshazzar replied, my Lord, only if the dream was applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. Like, I don't, this is not a, <laughs> you are correct, sir. It is a bad dream. And I wish it was to your enemies. So in verse 20, he says, the tree which you saw, it became large and grew strong, whose height had reached the sky and was visible to all the earth and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant and, and in it, which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt and whose branches the birds in the, of the air and sky lodged. This tree that you saw, that it was abundant, it was powerful, it was sovereign in all its ways. King, that, tr- that tree is you. For you have become great and grown strong and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky. Now, it's interesting that this location is in the same location of the Tower of Babel. Just a little side information where they were trying to get up to the sky to become God. King Nebuchadnezzar raises up trying to become God. And your dominion is to the ends of the earth. And that the king saw the angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven, saying, chop down the tree, destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground with with a band of iron and bronze around it and the new grass of the field and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time has passed over him. So he says, you're going to be chopped down and you're going to become like an animal, crazy in your mind. 
for seven periods of time. Most understand this, this periods of time. Well, this periods of time to be seven years. The, the question is, is how long did it actually take? Um, I'll explain that in a second. Verse 24, and he says, this is the interpretation of it all. This is what it means. O king, this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the king, that you be driven away from mankind in your dwelling place, be with the beasts of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven for seven periods of time. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize. So seven years, the reason there's some speculation or room for negotiation is seven years is what it says. Seven is is a number of, of completion, perfection. And so basically the punishment is like you're gonna go crazy until God's hand of discipline is complete, until you repent, until you change your ways, until you humble yourself before him. And so if you can do this before it happens, that would be great. If it takes God the rest of your life and you die this way because you refused to humble yourself before God, just because it said seven years doesn't mean it's going to be over in seven years. Now, most people sort of hold, like, it was probably seven years because everything seemed to unfold in chronological order. But there's room. It could have taken a little bit more. It could have taken a little bit less. But he says, seven periods of time will pass over you, verse 25, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. You are not the top dog, Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel's done at this point interpreting the dream. He says, you're going to be cut down. <laughs> I keep thinking about the Johnny Cash song, which I really like, the uh, God's going to cut you down. You know that one? It's like real catchy. I really, the man from Galilee, I think is what he says, like a, that song, I think, was maybe written after Nebuchadnezzar, you know. <laughs> I won't sing it for y'all. Um, <laughs> verse 27. Daniel's going to, now he's getting personal. It's interesting to me, Daniel, through this, I've been like really trying to like read ahead and reread and read over. We're going to see that Daniel, he's a young man taken captive, and yet somehow... He honors God, he doesn't compromise, and he's able to maintain these relationships with these kings that are appointed over him. And I think that he generally, at this point, kind of cares about him. He says, therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. I have a couple, let me... If I could just interject a couple of things here, king. Just This is me speaking, this isn't from God's judgment, but I think... I think I have a, like a roundabout way to kind of like, my advice to you is that you break away now from your sins by doing righteousness from your iniquities and showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. Saying, God, repent, Nebuchadnezzar, repent. 
Like, change your heart. And let the change be real this time. And if you repent, this whole repent by doing righteousness, this is the picture of that genuinely the man is transformed, not charmed by the gospel. And that there's, as he bows before God, that deep within him, fruit begins to bubble out that shows that he's a man who is now following after God. And in verse 28, we read Nebuchadnezzar saying to the crowd, remember, so he's just explained everything. And he says, now all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Now it's interesting. Up to this point, he's been speaking in the first person. And, and he will a couple times a little bit. But the whole uh, crazy season of his life, he seems to go into the third person because he wasn't, he wasn't thinking clearly, to put it in a mild way. He says in verse 29, 12 months later, he, that's Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar is now sharing the story. A, a whole year had gone by. I, I, I think of Nathan with Daniel when he had the affair with Bathsheba. And it was like months go by. Daniel had, or David had all the time in the world to sort of get right with God. But he did, and all of a sudden Nathan comes and tells about this horrible guy that stole this little lamb and and Daniel being old, hurt like shepherd, I guess is the word. Um, it is the word. I just my brain's catching up with my words. And he's like, "I was a shepherd. That's wrong. You mean the guy that has all of these sheep? He just came and he's like, let 'Let's go get that guy. Let's kill him. Justice will be served.'" And Nathan looks at him. He said, "It's you, David. Remember Bathsheba? You killed her husband. You got her pregnant." And consequence is going to fall on this child. I say the same thing. A, a year had gone by. Nebuchadnezzar's seen all this before. He's not really moved by the warning this time. But 12 months later, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. This palace had to be impressive. I halfway wonder if there was like a garden. Like I'm pretty sure there was a garden within there. We know about the hanging gardens of Babylon that... History tells us that he created for his wife to kind of keep her cool. It was like one of the, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Like the, uh, seven wonders of the ancient world. That's what was right there. And, and so he has this huge thing. He's looking at his wall that, that some think that should have been another one of the ancient wonders of, of the ancient, wonders of the ancient world, but I think they already got seven, so they couldn't add eighth. But I think it was in the, like the wall itself around Babylon was in the running. And so I think while he goes crazy, like within his palace, he had a big enough garden that they could all, like, because the son was not a good guy. We'll meet him next week. And so the family doesn't want the whole family line being in jeopardy. So I think they just had old Nebby crazy with their personal animals for seven years. (laughs) We're just going to keep this quiet. Uh, We'll say he's like on sabbatical or something and... Let's just live off his prosperity, keep it quiet. Um, where was I? Twelve months later, the king reflected and said, verse 30, the king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have, has, have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, 
sovereignty. Sovereignty means that he's powerful. Who's sovereign? God is sovereign. The God of heaven is the only one who's truly sovereign in control of all things. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was sovereign. And he's having this wrestling match with God over the course of his life. And this voice speaks out of heaven and says, hey, you Nebuchadnezzar that's checking out your kingdom. Time's up. You're no longer sovereign. We're taking it from you. It's been revoked. This is time for you to work on chewing the cud, doing whatever it is that crazy guys that think they're cows do. Um, your sovereignty has been removed from you, and you'll be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field, and you'll be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes Immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. Like, who was the guy that first discovered him? <laughs> like, somebody walks into his room. <laughs> you doing okay, sir? <laughs> he moved back at him or something? I don't know. Certainly, that person ran and got another. We, we have a situation here. <laughs> Who fed him last? Like, is he sick? Like, like, I don't know. Like, there's a lot like, oh, the things I wish I could see in these stories. So immediately the word came concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind, and he began eating grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until, until his hair had grown out like eagles. He got really shaggy, and his fingernails like... Bird's claws, so nobody was trimming his nails. This guy was a mess. I, I mean, he, he was a disaster. I mean, this is, I don't know that I've ever seen the clinical term or whatever this is, but in my time with law enforcement and going on the streets and, and meeting people who've lost their minds, like those who are in law enforcement, they see this all like crazy, like not just crazy, like, oh, you're really crazy today, like, Like, legitimately, their minds are gone. I think, like, Atascadero's Mental State Hospital in San Luis Obispo, like, if you could do a tour to get beyond the doors to walk those halls and see what was going on, I think that would be close to what you would see in this king. So 34, he's still, he's still just talking. This already happened to him. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, so I can just see the people that are hearing this, like, ah, that's where you've been. That's why we haven't been doing war and stuff, you know? <laughs> like, that's why everything has been, ah. Certainly, it's like, you know, kind of wonder, could this be true? And in the key of this whole chapter, we're getting to like, this is the important part. But the end of that period, was it seven years? Or was it that, like, it, I mean, I'm fine with saying it's seven years, but we, we are told that God was going to do this until it was complete, until Nebuchadnezzar was truly changed. And so I imagine this guy on his hands and knees eating stuff like off the ground. We're already told his nails are long, his hair is growing out, he's probably got bugs on him and 
Like, who knows what? It was gross. But what I see is a stubborn, stubborn man. No, God. He's not going to submit himself. He's not going to give. He's not going to change his heart. He's not. He's going to keep doing what he wants to do. And if he's got to crawl around in his palace as an animal, so be it. But I refuse to bow my knee to you. But all of a sudden, at the end of the period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, now he goes back to speaking in the first person. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. And it wasn't that he just looked up. He's like, I'm an idiot. I'm just a man. There is a God in heaven. Who am I kidding? Like, have you been to this place where you've been broken by the Lord? I have a couple of these moments in my life. Like, I think of one in my cage at SEAL Team 3. Like, wrestling with God. I had another one over a toilet bowl on a Sunday. Because I had alcohol poisoning, and I was barfing, and I was like, God had been trying to get my attention, and finally, like with alcohol poisoning, I said, you know what? All right, God, I've done it my way, and it's not working. My life is yours, and I don't even, like, like I'm, I'm done running. I'm done playing games with you. I'm done saying things to give you lip service, but continuing to be my own God, doing whatever I want. Like, as I look to the story, I hope that each of us has or will find ourselves in that situation before God where you're absolutely broken. I don't care how successful you are in the human world. There's a God in heaven that is sovereign, and he's given you life, and he's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get all of your attentions, everybody that you know, And you don't have to go to these extent. Like, God is patient. Like, Nebuchadnezzar could have changed, like, after that first dream, like, humbled himself and just gotten right with God and started doing things God's way. But he persisted. And here, the most powerful man in the world, his dew-drenched body, probably naked, like I don't like I've never attempted to like not trim my nails for seven years. I can go- I should have googled it. Like I like because somebody out there has like. But I know I've seen the pictures where they get all like curly cued. You know, look like a curly French fries. You know, hopefully that ruins it for somebody. I can, um, I'm gonna hear about that one. I'm sorry. You guys can eat your curly fries. But he's like a total mess. And it's Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, which says, I will lift my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. And here Nebuchadnezzar is. He truly humbles himself. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my head towards the heaven and my reason returned to him or to me. At that moment, while he's still on the ground, he looks up and he says, God, you're in control. His brain comes back to him. <laughs> Imagine he looks down. <gasps> oh, this is going to be really embarrassing. It's like, okay, King, your staff knows already. 
talk about humiliation, being humbled by God. But what does he do? He blessed the Most High. As soon as he gets his mind back, the first thing he does is he blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. That stone that shattered that first image. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all inhabitants of the earth, verse 35, are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, now he's kind of addressing the crowd. We're in a speech. So he's already said that he got his mind back in verse 34. So 34, 35, he's still telling the story of old Nebi. On the ground like an animal, he looks up. But now in verse 36, he's now looking at the crowd. So if we were to go back and read the first three verses, where he says... Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the peoples, nations, men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the most high God has done for me. It suggests that what the most high God has done to him has destroyed him. That God has humbled him, and when God humbles you, there's no better place to be. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation. He tells the story. And then the, very, the ending to his message to all of these people he gathers, he says, at that time my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out so that I was reestablished in my sovereignty. This time, though, he was a humble leader. He was a man who had everything, but he recognized where everything came from. And he recognized himself as a steward of that which God has given to him. And that he would be accountable for how he led, how he ruled, how he ended his kingdom. And surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, honor, the king of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. That's what he was doing. And this is the last we hear of Nebuchadnezzar. It's a beautiful ending followed by a sad story of his son who didn't learn from his father's mistakes. We see in Nebuchadnezzar's life that he learned the truth that's found in the Westminster's uh, Catechism, the first question, what is the chief aim of man? The chief aim of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Like we were created to worship. All of us are worshipers. The question is, what are you worshiping? Nebuchadnezzar was worshiping himself and his own power and his own might and his own glory, and God was trying to realign him so that he would worship God. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. If you're a young person in this church being raised in the Christian family, this is why your parents are constantly, hey, don't, don't do what I did. God is so gracious. He's so kind. 
live for him now because you, you might think that you're fooling us. You might think that you're fooling the people around you. But God will have his way. Charles Swindoll says, God's judgment may be, may be slow, but it's certain. Paul says in Romans 2, 4, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? See, while we're alive in this life, God is going after you. He's trying to lead you, even in his discipline. It's his, it's his kindness. Because his ways are, it's, it's, they're the ways that are best for us. But we think if we do it our way, in our own relationships and our own jobs and our own things that we're doing that are against him, we think our way is better. But God said, no, 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 no. I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to spare you. I'm trying to, it's, you're going the path of destruction. And so as we end from Nebuchadnezzar, my prayer is that we learn from his last words that each of us would live our lives where we could say, now I, Gunner, well, not Gunner, but you insert your own name, praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven for all his works are true. Everything God's done is true. What he says is true. His ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. I don't ever title my messages. I got pastor buddies that title their messages, but it's like, like, God's able to crack the toughest nuts out there. He did with Nebuchadnezzar. He's done it with me. He can do it with you. And he, my prayer is that he does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Lord, as we look at the first four chapters of Daniel, we see your sovereignty. You're our God and you are in control. In that sovereignty, you give us freedom. Freedom to sin, freedom to turn our backs on you, freedom to deceive ourselves. We see in these first four chapters that you are a merciful God, that you're a patient God, that you're a God that gives warnings and convictions and guidance. We see a man who who seems to respond but it doesn't seem to be genuine until the very end. And so, Father, I thank you because the scripture seems to indicate that over the course of Nebuchadnezzar's life, it seems that he genuinely got it and he repented and he got right with you. It took took great measures on your part from a human perspective. And so, Father, I pray for each one in this room or that's listening Father, I pray for those that are, that are rebelling against you. I pray, Father, that your spirit would penetrate deep within their hearts, that they would hear the warning of a loving God who created them, who loves them, who guides them, whose plan is best in their lives. Father, we pray that you would wake them up to your goodness. And Father, for those of us who have responded, 
Lord, I pray that you would help us not to fall asleep at the wheel or to think that we have our fire insurance so we're good to go on with our lives. Father, we ask that you would light that fire that once burned bright within our hearts, that our love for you, our passion for you, our seeking you day by day, moment by moment, would be rekindled. Father, we thank you that you're in control. We thank you that we can trust your works. We thank you that we can trust the work of Christ on the cross. We thank you that your word tells us that in him we have everlasting life. Sin no longer carries that sting of death. Death has been conquered through Christ. And so, Father, we praise you, we exalt you, we, we lift our eyes to heaven, and we thank you that you're available to help us in our time of need. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Amen.